Today we're starting a, a seven-week series on 1 Corinthians, uh, which is a letter from Paul to the Corinthian church that we're going to read as if it was a letter from the ancient church to us today. And uh, it makes sense because there are a lot of similarities between Corinth and, uh, and us today. Like London, Corinth was um, a major international center of commerce, of trade, uh, with much jostling for power and influence. Sounds just like London. Uh, the church there was dynamic and was spirit-filled. And yet it's to this sort of amazingly, apparently amazingly successful church that Paul writes perhaps the most challenging letter of the whole New Testament. Paul shows that, what, that being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not what the Corinthians thought. It impacts the whole of life. And over the next seven weeks, we're going to get a, a picture of that as we travel through the book. But we'll see how um, this powerful book talks about the power of the cross. It talks about servant leadership. It talks about marriage and singleness. It talks about responsible decision-making, discovering and using spiritual gifts. It talks about unity in the church. It talks about living with resurrection hope. Now, to help us over the seven weeks, we've produced a booklet that I think you were given as you came in. Now, um, <clears throat> please don't read it now. Um, otherwise, you won't listen to anything that I say. But um, this, is, this has been designed with a whole load of background material to read about, to understand uh, the Corinthian church. Um, but we've also suggested readings for every day, starting tomorrow, so that we work our way through the book. Those readings have been sort of worked out so that they uh, connect in with the Sunday sermons. And each week, we're also suggesting uh, questions that you can look at in hubs, small groups, or at home on your own to dig deeper. And then right at the end of the series, uh, we're going to have two evening uh, sessions together where we can dig into some of the really big questions that have been uh, sort of uh, suggested by our reading, but we haven't had time to, to really go into. Now, as we uh, begin that journey, I'd like to recommend a book. Um, it's a book called Phoebe by Paula Gooder. Paula is an amazing New Testament scholar and she works at St. Paul's Cathedral. And um, this is fantastic because it's a novel. It reads really easily. And uh, she, using all her sort of skill and background of understanding the New Testament, she imagines a story that involves Phoebe. Phoebe being one of Paul's companions, the one who takes uh, the letter of the Romans to the Roman church from Corinth. And so by reading this amazing novel, which is, I mean, it's gripping, it really is, you get an amazing insight into what life must have been like in those early churches, both in Rome and in Corinth. I cannot recommend it highly enough. We have copies on the bookstore, but we only have four copies. Some of them have already gone. So if you want to buy a copy, uh, please do it now because otherwise there won't be any left. But I, I really recommend that very highly. Anyway, back to Corinthians. Um, and as we come to open up, and I'll ask in a moment Kathy to come and read our first reading to us, uh, let's open our hearts to God in, in prayer, shall we? Paul begins his letter like this. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, to the church of God in Corinth, those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere, that includes us who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we call on you this morning that grace and peace might be poured out on us as we try and understand your word and we listen to what you have for us today. We know that your word is living and vibrant. We also know that, Lord, when you speak, sometimes it challenges us and we open ourselves to that as well this morning. We ask, as we have sung, that you would meet us here in this place as we listen and reflect. In Jesus' name, amen. Kathy, would you like to come and read to us from the first chapter of Corinthians? There are two readings today. The first is 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, which can be found on 1,144 in the church Bibles. Christ crucified is God's power and wisdom. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. The second reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses one to five. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. This is the word of the Lord. So, Corinth. Corinth was a vibrant and um, multi-ethnic centre of, of commerce, commerce and culture, a little bit like London. Um, it was situated on the narrow sort of neck of land connecting the mainland of Greece, you may see it there, with the peninsula to the south. And it was on a crossroads. It was a sort of north-south and then east-west crossroads of trade. And as capital of the Roman province of Achaia, um, Corinth attracted people of many nationalities and standings. Sailors rubbed shoulders with artisans, Greek philosophers with Jewish proselytes, Roman freedmen with slaves. And the first time that Paul visited the city, about 20 years after Jesus had died and rose, risen again, he would have walked through that city he would have walked along the Lycaeum Road, past the Greek baths, 
He would have been in the crowds shopping at the forum. He would have visited the Mackellum, the meat market, which was at the heart of the town. He would have seen the temple of Apollo and the numerous shrines uh, with their idols. He may even have gone to one of the two uh, theatres there were in the city. Don't know if he enjoyed that sort of thing, but chances are he did, because one of them was so big it seated 18,000 people. Not bad for a theatre. And overlooking it all, Paul would have felt the sort of dominating presence of the temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of love. Aphrodite got everywhere in Corinth. Um, it's said that there were 1,000 cult prostitutes in the temple, her temple alone. Sexual immorality in the city was rife. In fact, in the Greek language, they developed a verb, Corinthianosomai, which meant to live it up like a Corinthian. So, this was a city notorious for vice and immorality, greedy for power, dedicated to pleasure, fascinated with rhetoric and, and wisdom, a city with much social jostling for position where appearance and social status were everything. And into that sort of pick and mix culture, a church is born. Paul comes in his second missionary journey and he arrives there and he proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ, first to Jews and then to Gentiles. And people believe. Some of them are people of influence, like Crispus, who's the leader of the synagogue. But most of them are from sort of more modest backgrounds. And Paul stays there for 18 months teaching them, grounding the church in truth. But since it's his missionary journey, he, he has to move on and, and he does. But he leaves behind him a new church that's been planted and, and the signs are really good. Now, over the next three years, that church continues to grow. It gains a reputation for having fantastic teaching with gifted leaders. It has dynamic worship services. This is a church that is open to the Holy Spirit. It has a prophetic edge. It has the hallmark of success. But for Paul, underneath the surface, something has gone terribly wrong. There are personality cults, arguments and disputes, immorality openly practiced between members of the church, chaos in services, division between rich and poor. It seems that they have become arrogant and success-driven. In short, the church has lost its way. It has taken on the culture of the city. Now to Paul, that is deeply concerning. He knows that in order to evangelise Corinth, the church has to be different. The church should be affecting the city rather than the city affecting the church. They may call themselves the spirit people, that's the title they use. They may have powerful prophetic ministries, but in reality from Paul's perspective, and this is what he says in 1 Corinthians, he says, your meetings do more harm than good. What a terrible thing. They've lost their heart. They have lost their way. And it's all a bit of a mess. And so he writes to them this absolutely extraordinary letter 
which covers so many different areas of life in the Spirit, discipleship, what it means to follow Jesus. And the whole thing is strung between two pillars, at the beginning, the cross, and at the end, the resurrection. Everything he teaches is to be understood in that light. Now, I don't know how you would have begun a letter to that church, but Paul's way of beginning is quite extraordinary. You know, you know there are, looking at H, it makes me think, there are, there are two types of people, me and H. Um, those like H, well, those like me who are no good, but those who like H, who have the ability to walk into a derelict building and rather than focusing on the dirt and the mess, they see it in their mind's eye as it could be. In beauty and order, that's the architect's gift. He thinks how it could be. And he doesn't get stuck with how it is. And Paul is like that. The Corinthian church was a mess, but it was still a church. They were still called by God. Their gifts were real and God had plans for them. And so Paul, interestingly enough in his letter, begins by affirming them. He even uses their language. He talks about the way they've been called, enriched in every way. They love talking about that. They have all kinds of speech, says Paul in verse four, five. And the word is logos, rhetoric. They have lots of knowledge. The word is gnosis, wisdom. They lack no spiritual gift. Yes, God called them and he is faithful and he has blessed them. But for Paul, there is so much more. And it goes so much deeper. So Paul takes them right back to the beginning, to Jesus who died for them. The cross. The cross that reveals and frees from sin. The cross that displays God's immense love. The cross that releases radical forgiveness the cross that transforms lives. Now, that is the message they heard right at the start. That's what Paul preached when he was with them. That's the message of freedom they believed. But what they hadn't understood is it's the same cross that upturns all their human values. It calls them to see things differently. That cross undermines human hierarchy. It crashes through the veneers of respectability. It rejects power and it embraces suffering. Here is Jesus who turns his face to the cross and takes upon himself its shame. Jesus didn't care about being popular, successful or, or gaining prestige. He died so that others could live. Now, we have to understand that all ancient religious cultures had their understanding of what they expected God to do. The Jews expected a Messiah who would bring release from Rome. The, the Romans thought in terms of power encounters. For the Greeks, God was about ultimate Sophia wisdom. In that context, it was ludicrous for a poor Jewish rabbi who had suffered a criminal's death to be declared Lord. 
What could that possibly mean? He'd had a hopeful life. It had maybe started out well, but then he died. To speak of a crucified Christ is a contradiction in terms in their culture. The Messiah, the Christ, is about power, about splendour, about triumph. Crucifixion is about weakness and humiliation and defeat. No wonder Jews and Gentiles alike were scandalised by the message of the cross. Jesus died as a state criminal, a scandal to Jews and Gentiles, but also a scandal to those Corinthian Christians who had started to put their confidence in human wisdom and human power. And so Paul says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Now, Corinth was, was full of wise people. It was filled with all kinds of sort of fancy ideas. Every street was awash with philosophy. But people, Paul knows, people are not saved by what they know. They are saved by who they know. And the Corinthians were not saved by wisdom or knowledge. They were saved by Jesus. It's like Paul saying to the Corinthian Christians, you you think now that the gospel is a form of sort of human wisdom? How foolish can you get? Look at its message. It's based on a story of a crucified Messiah. Who in the name of wisdom would have dreamt that one up? Only God is so wise as to be so foolish. So the cross sort of pulls the rug out from under the, the feet of human wisdom. It's like, it's like looking for your glasses when they're right there on your head the whole time. That ever happened to you? It's right there in front of you in the one foolish place you don't think to look. And Paul is saying to them, you want to be wise? You want real power? Look to the cross of Christ, but you have to have on the glasses of the Spirit. Otherwise, it will appear foolish. But with the glasses, it's the power of God. You see, the cross cannot be understood by human logic. It's like trying to catch water with a sieve or or wind in a box or, or trying to measure love with a thermometer. It can't be done. You need to see it with the eyes of the Spirit. But with the eyes of the Spirit, for us who believe, everything changes when we look to the cross. Reminds you of that story of one of my great heroes, the Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf, who was the founder in the, in the 18th century of the Moravian church. And the story goes that as a young man, one day he was, he was visiting a church in Europe and he came in and there was, a, there was an amazing picture of the crucifixion that had been painted there, hanging in the church. And he, he looked at it and he was amazed by its quality and its force. He was a cultured man, he loved art. And he sort of gazed at it. And then his, his, his gaze went down to the bottom of the picture where he noticed that the painter had written out some words at the bottom of the painting. And the words went like this. All this I did for thee, 
What hast thou done for me? And the Holy Spirit took von Zinzendorf and it's like the power of God came upon him and he fell face down on the ground of that, on the, 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 the floor of the church. In, in tears, he was weeping before God because suddenly he realized the love of God was not to be found in the technical qualities of a painting, but in the poured out love of God in Christ. Christ crucified became for him that day the power and wisdom of God. It changed his life. The 19th century preacher um, Spurgeon said this, there are some sciences that may be learned by the head, but the science of Christ crucified can only be learned by the heart. So we've looked at the culture of the city, the challenge of the cross, and my final point is this, the call to the church. We know that the Corinthians had believed that message. They believed in Christ crucified. That's how they came to believe. But it seems as time has gone on that human logic and wisdom has infiltrated their thinking. It seems like they have wanted to leave behind the message of the cross. Perhaps it was rather embarrassing for them. In their sophisticated world, perhaps it brought shame. But Paul is really clear. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian one day or a thousand years. To leave the cross behind is to lose your way completely. You see, the cross is the doorway and the pathway. We continue as we began. So how did the Corinthians begin? What caused them to believe in the first place? Was it Paul's persuasive arguments? Or his attractive appearance, the way he combed his beard? Was it because he showed his university credentials or because he had all the trappings of success? Was it because he'd managed to minimise the challenge of the gospel or, or like sideline the scandal of the cross? Of course not. It was quite the opposite. Paul says it in the reading we've just had. When I came to you, he says, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the, the testimony about God. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. That's it. I can imagine that the Corinthians responding to that as they hear the letter read out to them. Heads nodding, he's right. It wasn't much of a show when he came. He wasn't very impressive. A bit embarrassing, in fact. In fact, early records tell us that Paul was a hunchback with a, with a, with a sort of a funny nose. But the message hit us Corinthians with, with power. It changed our lives. Yes, it's true. Not clever words, but God's power to forgive my sin, to heal my hurt, 
to fill my life. Now, as we begin our series today on 1 Corinthians, I think we need to pause. Today's church lacks power. Our church lacks power. My life lacks power. As a pastor, I long to see God's power poured out. As a preacher, I don't just want clever words. I long to see God's power at work. As I try to talk to others about God, I, I long for more than just my words to be heard. As I, I look for transforming power as a father with my children, as a teacher. Wherever I am, I want to be a channel of power. But it will only happen as I come to the cross. I'm troubled that in our day, much of the time, we have stopped preaching the cross. I'm troubled when we put more focus on programs than prayer. I'm troubled when we try and make our faith acceptable, when we shy away from speaking of sin and forgiveness, repentance and holiness. I'm troubled when we allow the culture around us to shape what we believe rather than allowing the cross to shape our lives. Like the Corinthians, friends, we are so easily seduced by appearance, intimidated by clever words. We want to be seen to be cultured, intelligent. We look for the trappings of power. And yet we know. We hear those who apparently have attained the, the greatest of the heights. In fact, they say that their power is so limited. They can't do anything, their, their hands are tied. We know that worldly power is fleeting. And we know even more that inside, people are hurting, needy, searching, weak. And that is exactly where the cross of Christ meets them and us. There's no need to be strong clever, intelligent, beautiful. We just need to come to the cross. Because only on the cross was evil defeated, shame removed, sin forgiven. It's on the cross that the arms of Christ open wide to welcome everyone in. It's through the cross that the lonely find a family. Enemies are like reconciled. The lost come home, the dead come to life through the cross. This is true power made perfect in weakness. So here we go. Friends, today we need to take a leaf out of Paul's book. Paul knew that he was a weak messenger with a strong message. He believed passionately that as the, God, the cross is preached, so power is released in the church. And he expected that that would transform not only the church, but through the church, the world. And he wasn't just talking about preaching. The power of the cross for Paul is a transformed life. That's what Paul means when he says in our passage, I resolved to know nothing 
while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul meditated on the cross. He dwelt on it. A bit like that amazing hymn that sometimes we sing by, by Isaac Watts. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the King of glory died. He didn't say when I glance at the wondrous cross. Or when I sort of look at. He said when I survey because we, as we dwell in the cross, we discover the enormity of God's love and that love invades our whole scope. The whole of Christian landscape is coloured by the cross. That's what Luther meant one day, when he, one time when he said, um, crux probit omnia, which means the cross tests everything. Paul's life took on the shape of the cross and so should ours. And as we'll go on to discover in this letter over the next few weeks, that affects every part of our life, our work, our relationships, our bodies, our worship, our decisions, our money, our giftings, our time, our hope. Everything shaped by the cross of Christ. Let's pause in prayer, shall we? My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Lord, we thank you so much that in the weakness of Christ crucified, we discover your power to forgive. your power to renew, your power to heal, your power to remove our shame. We ask as a church, O oh Lord, that you would fix our eyes upon you, Christ crucified, risen, and as we do so, Lord, would you change our lives? Would you make our lives cross-shaped so that through us many may see you? Amen.